0: Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway.
1: And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing.
0: I'd like to start with a question, not for our guests, for our radio listeners. The question is, what do the shows, A Naked Girl on the Appian Way, Jumpers, Pippin, The Rothschilds, the upcoming revival of Barefoot in the Park, and the movies, An Unmarried Woman, and Starting Over. What do they all have in common?
1: You've made it too easy, John.
0: The answer is they all starred at today's guest, Jill Clayburgh. Welcome, Jill.
1: Thank you very <laughs> much, John. <laughs> Welcome, Jill. You know, whenever we do these interviews, we, we look back and look at old interviews and, and do do our research. And I was struck by the fact that I've read a series of interviews with you dating back now five and six years, and every single one of them mm-hmm. seems to have the same starting point. They all talk about the return of Jill Clayburgh.
2: Haven't I made a lot of comebacks?
1: <laughs> do you think Jill Clayburgh was ever away?
2: <laughs> That's a very good question. I mean, I do laugh at the comeback of Jill Clayburgh. This is like really my third comeback. Um, I was definitely away. Uh, I made a, a choice. Really, one choice was, which I would say in this particular show, not to do theater while I had small children. I did one play. I did um, Design for Living. And, um, you know, I, I am not a good multitasker. And I think that the theater is a very, it, it, it really requires everything you have. Your time, certainly your bed bedtime, which is, you know, when you have kids, that's what you have. You have sort of the time they come home from school through bedtime. You're gone. And you're sleeping in the morning. And more importantly, it really requires your imagination and your commitment. And for me, I, I just really couldn't do both things fully. I, I, I found myself just Stretched, and I, it was unpleasant for me. So it was easier for me to do a movie of the week for a month, um, and that was how I made a living and did a little acting. But the kind of passion that you really have to have if you're doing theater, I my 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 interests were elsewhere for 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 a long time. So I did take a a, a long.
1: Hiatus. Hiatus. Yes. But you've been slipping yourself back. You first. Was oh, The Exonerated yes. really the first step back? No, or The
2: Exonerated wasn't. The first step was, ironically, uh, two plays that I did in Gloucester, Massachusetts at Israel Horovitz Theater. The Gloucester Stage Company. The Gloucester Stage Company. And I had done, I guess, Israel's. I don't know if it was his first play in New York, but it was certainly my first play when I just. Uh, I was going to say graduated from, but in a sense, that's the truth, the Charles Playhouse in Boston. I came to New York, and I replaced Marsha Mason in a play called, it's called The Sugar Plum by Israel Horowitz. Back
1: on a double bill with, with Indian Wants the Bronx, yeah, you going got back your to 68.
2: Yes. And so I have been in touch with Israel on and off ever since then, and he had always said come up to Gloucester and do a play and I was always like well it's the summer that's when I hang out with my kids I don't do plays and he said but now my daughter was starting to get interested in acting so I said I'll tell you what write a play for me and my daughter and we'll be there so he did amazingly and another wonderful writer named Frank Pugliese whose work I just adore he doesn't have enough plays going but when they're there they're wonderful um, he wrote a play, and we just, you know, it sort of started her acting career, and it restarted my love of theater because I, it was a funny experience. I had to behave very well for my daughter. I I, I can get extremely insecure and, you know, nervous about things and. I just said, no, I'm not going to be that person. I'm going to be a different kind of a person. I'm going to be a confident, calm, happy person for my daughter. How'd that go? It worked. I became that person. Talk about acting.
0: We we should mention your daughter is Lily Rabe.
2: My daughter is Lily Rabe, who's done very well for herself in the last year or two. And... Um, it, it, she gave a remarkable performance, particularly in Frank Pulizzi's play, because it was a very challenging, challenging role. She played a schizophrenic who was hearing voices and talking in tongues. And this is she's still in college, and you know, mm-hmm. we were like, "Oh my God!" You know, this is such a such a demanding role, but she did it beautifully. And
0: she got very good reviews in Steel Magnolias yes. this past season. Yes,
2: yeah. and then she went on to do Proof the following year at Gloucester Stage, and I went on to do All My Sons with Doug Hughes. And that's how I got to know Doug Hughes, and uh, and then I did the exam. and that
1: was the production at the Westport Country Playhouse that you yes. did with Richard Dreyfus. Yes, and and going, I mean that's certainly a heavy piece of theater as you're you're getting back into it. How how was that experience?
2: Oh, it was great. It was just wonderful. It's a wonderful, mm, it's a wonderful, wonderful play, and uh, it, it was it was just uh, working with Doug was just great, and. Mm-hmm. It, it just it just worked out very, very well.
0: And Doug Hughes, coincidentally, is the director of the show you're in currently, and they could go on the Appian Way, so I assume you're getting to know him in Westport, kind of one thing led to another?
2: Oh, I'm sure. Happened? Yes, huh? yes, yes.
1: Well, it's really pretty remarkable what's happened with your coming back to the stage because it was announced first that you were returning to Broadway for the first time in 20 years in Barefoot in the Park. And the right. Big announcement, big excitement about that. And then next thing we knew, it was announced, no, that wasn't going to be your return to Broadway. Your return to Broadway was going to be Naked Girl on the Appian Way. These two projects happening in such close proximity, complete coincidence? Or was it you'd said to your agents, find me theater. Oh, no, 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 no.
2: That was complete coincidence. And the, and the time slot just worked out. Uh, that was com- completely uh, unexpected and unplanned. Um,
0: well Naked Girls uh, was announced as a limited run it runs through December 4th is it? Exactly. Yeah. So you go almost immediately I guess into rehearsal for Barefoot.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: Well, let's yeah. talk about Naked Girl now a little bit. Yeah, so ma- you can you tell our listeners yeah. about the show first? Well, what is the show?
2: Well, it's it's a comedy uh very I think very funny uh with with farcical elements um about a kind of a successful, happy couple. That's the fir- the first thing you meet is, is Richard Thomas. And you meet me and Richard Thomas as this sort of almost ideal, slightly, uh, upper class, not slightly upper class, upper class, but not in a very educated, very refined, very, um, articulate more than upper class, I think is really what you see. Uh, couple with life kind of perfect and as the play goes on you see that uh their family is presenting challenges which they had no idea were 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 coming and as their two children come back from Europe and uh it, it, and they have three adopted children and you see how how they face and deal with and confront these uh, you know unexpected and extraordinary challenges, and um, how they survive them.
0: A plot twist along the way: your character is a, uh, a celebrity chef and cookbook author, and yes. your your quote husband unquote played by Richard Thomas is an author who's a little bit kind of flighty, a little bit
2: absent minded. Well. You know, I don't really look at him that way as flighty and absent-minded. I I think that I look at him as a man out of his element. His element has been the business world and now he's trying to recreate a life as a retired man and it's not going completely well and at the very end of the play, you sort of understand why it's not going that well. Um, be, because in fact, perhaps he has been trying to create something that isn't just quite right.
1: Well, what I found so interesting about the play, what what I took away from it was, for all of the the things you're mentioning about it being a comedy and a farce, was that it's a play which sets up the story about the unpredictability of love and that these people, your character and and Richard's character, have created this highly hyper-articulate, highly intelligent... Highly idealized view of the world that when something as simple and perhaps as base as love comes into it, it completely shakes up their construct. I mean, oddly enough, well, love
2: th- in the quote-unquote wrong uh, of the wrong type,
1: right? Yeah. But but well, is you know the question is is, is it, it, it the wrong, wrong? type? Exactly. I mean, oddly That's enough, is big question. As I was formulating the question. I went, wait a minute, there's another play on this theme. It was Edward Albee's The Goat. Yes. What's interesting is that Greenberg has taken a, co- a very, as you say, comic farcical style to, to deal with, with a similar theme. Yes.
2: And I think that I, – I I think the audience has to adjust to the fact that these are themes that have dealt been dealt with in a fairly serious fashion in the theater – and that this is a light approach. You have to have a light heart to these very serious subjects about what is love, what are the um, limits of who can you love. Is it acceptable to love such and such a person? And, you know, he, he's, he's dealing with taboos of all kinds of love and uh, how we, maybe we profess... That we believe something, but do we really? And does this re- does this step over the border that we're willing to go?
1: And have you had an opportunity to hear from audience members about how they respond to the show? Are people people at the stage door telling you what they think?
2: Um I'm trying to think. We did a talk back. Everybody's that, you know, I don't hear the people who don't like it. Uh, so everybody has enjoyed it that I've spoken to. And uh, I think, you know, theater goers, intelligent, educated theater goers, really respond to it. Because it gives them something for every part of their brain. It's it's verbally very quick. And... Um, you know, not easy, I wouldn't say. And it also is a challenging intellectually. I mean, people are thinking, well, how do I feel about that? Would that be okay with me if that happened between two of my children? Um, and it's fun when you, you know, it's, it's, I felt this way about Fat Pig. When I saw Fat Pig, I thought, oh, my God. How do I feel about that? It really struck home because it wasn't sort of this huge subject. It was a real specific thing. And this is a very specific thing that you sort of have to grapple with in your own.
0: Well, I read somewhere that uh, you describe this, which is a comedy, the show as light depth. How do you define light depth? In other words, it's a comedy, but it has a lot of meat to it, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, yeah
2: yeah I did read that I said that <laughs> that's before we opened, but no, I think that's fair. I think that's a perfectly fair comment.
1: The reason I asked you about the audience was certainly when you were up at Gloucester stage, that's mm-hmm. a small space mm-hmm. that you're working in, and the exonerated down at the culture project again, a small space and so this is this is your first time years playing for, you know, 900 to a 1000 people a night.
2: Have you been to the Westport Playhouse?
1: Oh, I forgot. Well, Westport's <laughs> about 600. Well, you're it's literally huge. playing a barn. That's yeah. true. I forgot about Westport. But but coming back to a live audience, has that oh, Because you've been so doing the film fun. and television work on an ongoing basis. Oh, throughout. I could just
2: never do that again in my whole life.
1: I probably shouldn't say that on the
2: air. Um, yeah, I love I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love telling the story from beginning to end. Maybe that's really the most fun is is being able... You know, in a movie, you're telling the end before the beginning, and then you have to keep the whole story in your head all the time. This has such freedom. This is really like you just go, oh, I'm going flying for two hours. You know, you really... It's just an incredible thing that you have that's yours. You know... It takes a while for it to become yours, but then it's just this great pleasure.
0: Now, did you have to do more than just learn lines for this? Because when the show opens, we see you on stage making a very involved salad with 49 <laughs> ingredients or something
2: like that? <laughs> yeah. Well, I uh, on every level, I had to do more than learn lines for this show. But, yes, I did take some uh, wonderful lessons with uh, a chef who showed me how to hold the knife properly, how to cut the radishes, how to um, wash the salad in in a more refined way than perhaps I would wash the salad. Oh, and that the orange in the balsamic is really very delicious. I use that at home now, (laughs) grating the orange into the balsamic vinegar. And... um, you know, I, I I chop. Do I chop as much without looking down as I would like to? Maybe not quite. Um, I peel a lot of radishes, but I can hold them up. You know, because you don't want to get your face just stuck down towards the cutting board. You you have to think about that. But a you moment.
0: want you don't want to cut off your finger. at But you don't want to <laughs> cut off your
2: finger. So you know, it's a, it's I, I I fool around. Now that I'm so comfortable, that I do fool around with what I'm doing, and so far. I've had no knock on wood.
0: Joe's looking for a piece of for a piece wood. of wood in the studio. Yeah, there, I don't there think there's here. any wood. <laughs> uh,
2: anyway, okay. Well, that uh, <laughs> who well,
1: knows. Let's jump back now because we we touched on your early career here in New York, and you had you were involved in several very major shows that John outlined at the beginning, and indeed two big musicals of of their day. And we certainly we haven't seen you yet back on stage singing.
2: That won't be happening (laughs) (laughs) anytime soon, or anytime.
1: But but I leave that to you. You worked with two major directors, Michael Kidd and Bob Fosse.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: What do you recall from that time? Oh, I have
2: a really Michael Kidd was the greatest. You know, I he wasn't. He was wonderful, and I would I would just bombard him with. Was that okay the way I crossed? Was that okay and he finally turned and he said, Jill, nobody's worrying about you. In fact, in this scene nobody's really watching you. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. Put everything in perspective. It really put everything in perspective and I remembered that. Uh yeah. so well. So well.
0: Any good Bob Fosse stories?
2: <laughs> um we didn't get along.
0: Oh.
2: No. He didn't like me. Um and, and he banned Bob Fosse stars. <laughs> oh, I think I might skip those. But I think, you know, I remember I asked him a question once. I said, it was at the very end, and everybody's crying for some reason. Pippin, think about the sun. And I said, well, why would I be crying? Because really I'm happy that he's Come home, you know. I've been waiting for him. He didn't like that question. He was used to dancers. And then I think maybe, you know, he did the movies after, but he expected a certain kind of... This is my, you know, he's a great director, but he didn't like
1: me. Your process was obviously very different.
2: Yeah, he didn't like
1: me. What can I say? (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) Yet, and then... After Pippin, um, your next show was ultimately a short run on your next Broadway show. Short run was the original product, the original New York production of Jumpers, which must have been an, an, another you know another tough show to that get was into. A nightmare, really.
2: Mm-hmm. That's when I decided to go uh, to California. Yeah, that was really, 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 really difficult. Was well, a rather for me. strange
0: show. Yeah, no, with.
2: it was really a personal sort of nadir for me. I just oh. felt incredibly uh, that I didn't understand the role. The, the director hated me. In fact, he tried to replace me. And when we were in um, Washington, I would see these actresses sort of popping up from behind couches. I, I, I give myself. I don't know if it's credit, but I question why I didn't just say, please replace me. Why did I hang on to to it? Uh, because I, I, I wasn't, Brian Bedford couldn't stand me. Um, it was very, very difficult time, mm. one of the most difficult times of my life.
1: And was this also roughly in the period, I understand that somewhere in here you you auditioned for, a production of In the Boom Boom Room oh, yeah. by a gentleman named David Ray, yeah. uh, who later became your husband. Yeah. But was that right in this period? And indeed, you weren't cast in that that role. Yeah. I
2: wonder if that was. You seem to know more about my life than I do. Um, yeah, it it may have been at, at the same time. But I know that during that time, I was feeling a lot. I, I was just did not want to be in New York. I did not want to do any more theater. And um, I auditioned for In the Boom, Boom, Room three times, and they gave the part to Madeline Kahn, who's completely brilliant. But I just thought, I need to make a name for myself, you know, and and, and I can't make a name for myself in New York. I need to get a name and then come back.
1: Well, you certainly achieved that i mean you decided Mm, you were you you launched yourself out to california you had extraordinary success Mm. yet only a few minutes earlier in this interview you joked that if you never had to go back and do film again and only did theater you'd be happy again so what was it that film gave you at that time and what is it that theater is giving you now
2: well let's just talk about age i think film is you know it's a plastic medium it's it's it you know, it's it's about the beauty of your flesh as well as anything else. And I think for a sixty year old woman sixty one to be honest, uh, I think you're just gonna be happier in theater. I think there are more roles, you know there's just there's a lot more flexibility. Um but it was it was wonderful at the time. Wonderful, but I was getting great roles and doing wonderful things, and that's just not going to happen to me in film at, at this point. You know, I, I have a wonderful movie coming out, and I, I would love to do parts in movies from time to time, but I think that more satisfying will be, will be the theater at this point in my life. Well, you did have
0: some great roles, and you created some great characters, specifically in Unmarried Woman and Starting Over. You got you know, Oscar nominations for both of those. How did you get those roles? How did that happen?
2: Oh, you know, sometimes the best things are so easy. It's weird, isn't it? Hmm. I had done Hustling, which was a very, very interesting television movie. That was hard to get. Oh my god, did I fight for that role. Like a oh, I I've just I've never fought so hard for any role as the role of Hustling in um the television movie which which I did opposite Lee Remick and I played a um uh 8th Avenue Prostitute. It was a really breakthrough kind of role. You knew when you read it. They didn't want to see me. I was wrong, 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 wrong for that role. And I couldn't get into the casting director and I had to change agents to get even in. And I fought and I got this amazing part and got an Emmy nomination for it. And So I had that going and so I was sort of up for things at that point.
0: And this was in the 70s, mid-70s? Like Hustling something. was 75.
2: Yeah, okay. And then, um, I don't know, I got, got a... Paul Mazursky wants to see you for a movie. Okay. I walked in, I talked to him, talked to him, didn't audition, got the part. Wow. 15 what, what, minutes. What,
0: what, what do you think he saw in you? Or was I have he your-
2: no idea. <laughs> I, I, I mean, how, you know. He's just got a sense for people.
0: He was obviously familiar with your work, with others you had done, I I would assume. Yeah, yeah, I mean, for him to call you, obviously, he had some interest.
2: Yes, I think so. He must have seen... Hustling,
1: well, you'd had, you'd had a couple of films, certainly. Silver Streak. Silver Streak, had, maybe so had Silver come out Streak. And, and, uh, and Semi-Tough. And I've got oh, to ask a question about Semi-Tough because you're the only person I think I could ever ask, you know, what was it like to be in a movie with Robert Preston and Lotta Lenya, <laughs> both having been in that film? Oh, uh,
2: you know, I don't even know if I met her.
1: Really? Uh, didn't have scenes with her?
2: No, but Robert Preston was incredible. Played your dad. Yeah, he was fantastic fantastic. You know, if I knew knew them what I know now, I would have spent more time. I don't know if you read that Shirley MacLaine article. I thought it was so interesting. It was recently in the paper. She said, the young people don't ask me about myself, about what I've done and who I've worked with and what it was like to work with it. And I thought, you know, that is true. Uh, You don't find people just sort of really deeply curious about the things that you've done. And uh, I wish I had certainly grilled, or, or grilled, but just talked to Robert Pressmore. I think I was sort of intimidated, so I didn't. Well, he
0: was a, a big name, I guess, oh, in
2: those days. Oh, my God, was he a big name. And and, and to me, very much so, because I grew up in New York, and I went to a lot of theater.
0: And you had been on stage yourself in yeah, the theater, so yeah, yeah. no he
2: obviously I knew. was an icon. Yeah. yeah.
1: So... That's a great segue as we as we move towards the end of the discussion. You are now here in New York. You've got a few more weeks to go in Naked Girl in the Appian Way. Then you'll be going into uh, Barefoot in the Park. In the meantime, you are sharing an apartment with your young actress daughter, Lily yes. Rabe, who we spoke of earlier. So you know now what you'd like to have known then. Mm. What do you want her to know now so she doesn't have the same feeling? later on.
2: Well, it's funny, you know, because <laughs> I'm full of free advice. Uh, you know, I can't tell you in a general sense, but there are every situation comes up and I'll see that she's questioning what what's the most important thing to do here. I mean, she's got a gig on a law, a law and order next week, and I'm just like the most important thing you can do, Lily, is change your clock around so that when they call you at six o'clock in the morning, and you're going to have three scenes and you're going to be working all day, you don't get exhausted. You you have to, you know. Th- those are the things that you just know from <laughs> years of having done it. You, and that's a teeny little example. There's so much that you really. Can share.
0: Well, it's interesting. You have to talk to her both as a mother but also right. as a professional, as an actor yourself.
2: Right, 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 right. No, and, it, and he, it, is, it is interesting. And I can see why theatrical families evolve because you do have so much knowledge and you have a pleasure about the intricacies of, you know, how do you get that laugh? And, you know, and I know that she will tell me the truth. That's another w- really great thing. She will tell me the truth about what she sees. It's kind of an unspoken pact that we've made and I will tell her the truth.
0: Well here you are sharing a flat, so to speak, because mm-hmm. you live too far away in Connecticut yes. to make the, the daily commute. It must be kind of weird though, you and your daughter, uh both professionals on stage, um doing the dishes together or whatever.
2: Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. How 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 does she take getting advice from you? Is she receptive?
2: It depends on which day.
0: <laughs> I, I think that <laughs> I
2: wouldn't day? give her advice unless I were asked. I hope that I wouldn't give her advice unless I were asked. Uh-huh. Um, but then when I'm asked, I, you know, spout off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and how about how about your husband? Does he give advice to her or to you? Yes,
2: yes, 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 definitely. He's very involved in both of our lives. And now my son is interested in playwriting. And my stepson is a musician, a fantastic musician in in, in Los Angeles. My son has just, be, you know, he's sort of a talented playwright, you know. And so there's advice to give on Every front, you're, 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 <laughs> say
1: you're creating a theatrical, and Ex- truly becoming. You know, it's it's not that you, you, exactly. you know, you said your mom you, before we got on the air. You right. commented that your mom worked for people like David Merrick, right. but but you didn't grow up in what you'd call a theatrical household. Exactly. But now the the Rabe Clayburg <sighs> theatrical dynasty is growing. It sounds it like is. the
0: Redgrave family better be careful. <laughs> 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 what, what is your son? Uh, he's in college now, right? He is. He yeah, is. yeah. When does he graduate? When does he out
2: in the, the big <laughs> world? So
0: he's got a a couple years to yeah, make up his mind. definitely. Yeah. yeah. And after Barefoot in the Park, you're going to do more work on Broadway? I think? hope so. Go go for a trifecta? Wouldn't that be good?
2: <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have to be Broadway, but I do would love to do another play. Well, um, I
0: I for one am anxious to see you next, is it February that uh, I think Bearfoot it opens, opens in February. February. In yeah. Barefoot yeah, in the yeah, Park, yeah. the revival of that wonderful yeah. Neil Simon comedy. Well,
2: thank you. Yes. Thank you so much, John.
0: And thank you, Joe, so much for being with us today on Downstage Center.
2: Thank you.
1: Thanks, Jill. For the American Theater Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, reminding our listeners that these programs and all of the media and education work of the American Theater Wing is available online, on demand, for free, from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org.
0: And for XM Satellite Radio, I'm John von Susten for Downstage Center. That's a wrap, and thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank
1: you both.